0: Welcome to the weather of the mind podcast i'm your host doug krish good day to you today's topic is experiment the title of today's show is experiment results a year without home internet so that's my experiment du jour or du ano first of all how you doing out there awesome to spend some quality time with you dear listener i miss you Got some good things to share today. So welcome, welcome. Appreciate you tuning in. All right, so when we think about experiment, I found a few nice quotes to stoke the fires. The first quote comes from our man, Ralph Waldo Emerson, the sage of Concord. Concord, Massachusetts, that is. Real prominent transcendental philosopher, essayist, lecturer. He actually made a lot of his living Giving lectures, which was a big deal in the uh, mid 18 early to mid 1800s, and then people requested that he publish his uh, his lectures into essay form. So Emerson says, "All life is experiment. The more experiments you make, the better." Once more, all life is experiment, and the more experiments we make, the better. So that's Emerson. Life is change. Anytime things change, it is essentially a new experiment. The second quote comes from Claude Bernard, a French physiologist, also in the mid-1800s. And he had a lot of insights into homeostasis. He says, quote, observation is a passive science. Experimentation an active science. So again, observation, just... Sit on the park bench or just going about our lives. If we're observing, if we're paying attention, which we will do either consciously or subconsciously, we're learning. Experimentation is a little more proactive, or as he says, it's an active science. We're turning the knobs. We're saying, let's try something a little different. Let's limit uh, watching of television or videos to an hour a night and see what happens. Or let's play cards as a family on a Thursday night for the next two or three months. Let's do this experiment. Let's try to cook this meal or just we tweak things. And we tweak them not just once, but we try to tweak them for a period of time. Adjust things for three to four months, I think, if not six 12 months. A lot of the experiments I've made, they become the new normal. And I'm like, huh, I like that experiment. Let me just keep on going with that. So experimentation is a way of sort of proactively ongoing, adjusting the ebbs and flows of our lives. You know, we can go through lives passively and just sort of letting things flow as they may. But it is kind of fun to exercise our agency in many ways, and by doing experiments, adjusting things in this way, it gives us the opportunity to really push the change, push the growth. Okay, on to the third introductory quote, and this is by Diderot, the French philosopher born in 1713, and he's famous for editing along with a few others, the encyclopedia which end up getting him into trouble, and he had to go to prison. Alright, back to this Diderot quote. There are three principal means of acquiring knowledge. Observation of nature, reflection, and experimentation. So he's laying out three ways of acquiring knowledge. And again, he starts with observation, kind of echoing what we heard from Claude Bernard. And then he adds in reflection. And then experimentation. So he says observation collects facts, reflection combines them. Experimentation verifies the result of that combination. So we see here a process building upon each other. First, we observe. We just our senses are active to the world, we experience the world, accumulate sensory information. Reflection is a form of combining them. Probably involves some sort of memory, subconscious or conscious and comparing different things we learned in different situations, different fields perhaps. And then experimentation is where we try to verify what we've learned by running experiments. This experimentation, or my approach to experimentation, is a bit more open-ended. I I suppose it is built upon observation and reflection, but there's not always a very clear thing I'm trying to verify, because these experiments are not massive 200, 500 person studies. This is... This is myself, myself, and and you, and you all, and and hopefully we do some sharing back and forth. But it's a, it's a really qualitative experiment. However, there's great value to qualitative research and qualitative studies. Now let me shift gears to my experiment of recent. Sometimes we make experiments on. Noble ideals or the pursuit of certain values say we want to spend more time with our family Maybe we switch. Let's have a ritual. Let's create a new habit or ritual where we do x y and z A uh, game night every Thursday or we go out to dinner together no electronics on Tuesday night or we cook together on Sunday night so these are kind of value-driven, and, and where our values are kind of gri- guiding where, how we want to grow, how we want to improve ourselves or our, our situations. But other experiments are just kind of handed to us. Like I said, a lot of change essentially becomes an experiment. You decide to switch apartments. In the first apartment, you were living with five people, and now you're living in, in an apartment by yourself. This is a really big experiment. You're not setting out to do an experiment, it's just the nature of that change situation. So there are plenty of experiments that just can come into our lives, and it's an opportunity to do something different and to learn. So in this case, the experiment I'm reporting back on today is kind of one of those that happen, sort of come randomness. I moved into a new place a year ago, and had to do the perfunctory things, talk to the gas and electric company, get everything straight with the landlord, and then I'm like, oh, I got to sign up for internet. But I sort of just sat on that and just like, ah, let me wait a few weeks. It's the summertime. I'm busy. I'm going for a lot of bikes. You know, I'm getting a lot of bike rides out in the country, coming home at sunset hour, 8, 8.39, making a late dinner. I don't really need internet. I don't need it from my job right now. Again, people say, how can you podcast without the internet? But I record in my studio, and then I just I go to the library for my internet needs. So basically, I started this experiment a year ago, and now it's been a whole year, so I thought it'd be worth um, kind of taking some time to report back on what I learned from this. I'm not necessarily endorsing this as an experiment, but I think it's a cool one. And probably the headline is... Not having home internet makes it feel like the 90s, or maybe uh, early 2000s. Because with a cell phone, I can still do a few things from my phone on the internet, like I basically text stuff. I can check my email, I can see the headlines, and check some message boards that are text, text only. So no video, I'm really cut off from videos. Most of my internet I can do with my phone is very basic. Kind of like the dial-up times of two thousand and three. I really kind of think that I've lived this year more like the 90 s in my place. And let me explain that. So when it comes to the videos I want to watch, I'm just bas- I'm basically taking DVDs of TV shows and movies or documentaries out from the library. And I live in a city with a great library. I walk go for like a ten minute walk over to the library once or twice a week. I get my books. I get my videos, bada bing bada boom. Now what's great is I'm watching all my videos commercial free, which is beautiful, and my books are also commercial free. But as much as I love a good video, Seinfeld, DVDs, some classic movies, documentaries, I love audio. I really love the radio. People frequently ask me, what podcasts I listen to, and I, I some of the podcasts I listen to are also radio shows. That's how I catch them, pretty much on NPR, a few hours a day, generally. So I really have continued my embrace of radio, and I live in Ithaca, New York, and we have a number of great stations. We have a community radio station, 88.1. We have two NPR stations, one that plays classical music, one that does talk shows, all day, 24-7, and does the BBC overnight, which is awesome. Sometimes it's very uh, soothing to listen to the British early morning shows as you're kind of getting ready for sleep at 1 or 2 in the morning. We got VBR, which is a local station. They have great shows and some great DJs. We got ICB, the Ithaca College Station. We got a few other stations. So there is a ton of good radio. Plus... I'm, I'm using this old school boombox, which is also very 90s. You know, the boomboxes that are like two and a half, two feet long by six inches deep by eight inches tall. D- two tape players, two speakers. And so on. I've dug out my tapes from the 90s. So I'm just listening to a lot of mixtapes or just tapes that I recorded, made copies of albums and whatnot from the 90s. You know what, let's uh, let's pop one of these tapes into the tape player and see what we get. Ah, the tactile experience. Here we go. The tapes, the tapes. Well, that music sample was a song called Neurotic by Bouncing Souls, a punk band from back in the day. So that was a nice treat. Let's get back to talking about experiments. So with experiment, experiment is kind of like, you get some of the benefits you get from traveling, or living somewhere else, or moving. Like we said, Culture, a lot of people think culture is very much set in stone and and it seems that way on some levels. Like uh, we're living in the 2020s. There's a certain mainstream culture that dictates what's going on in sports and entertainment, how we, how we procure our goods. This time and place has a certain character and a personality. But one of my big messages with weather of the mind school is we have a lot of influence locally the culture of of our own sounds really selfish but we even have our own culture because our lives do have a selfish a self-oriented component like in my one bedroom there's a certain culture here like a 90s vibe and and mixtapes and bread baking and lots of books and radio that is the culture that I engender in this space, or I steward in this space. So we have cultures in our workplaces that we have some influence over. Our war- we have culture in our homes that we have influence over. And again, our influence is stronger the more local it is. Like I say, if you want to make find peace, make peace in this world. Start with yourself and your relationships that are part of your day-to-day, week-to-week. I digress. Whew. Okay, you can tell this is a huge topic. I mean, I'm going to read some excerpts for you from the Urban Monks Handbook, an unpublished book of mine that I worked on a lot in 2006, seven, eight, and nine. and And reading through it, there's so many great, great portions to it, and I, I just got to get it... Uh, get it out there. Back in the day, I I worked hard on two book drafts, this Urban Monks Handbook and another one called Emotional Homelessness, which um, I got some bites from agents. I didn't have enough of a platform. I didn't have 100,000 followers, so they couldn't take a risk. That's how it is. So I moved towards self-publishing smaller books. But this is from the Urban Monks Handbook, and basically in this book, I, I talk a lot about experiment and I talk a lot about trying to understand our relationship to culture. Because when we have a chance to travel, like I was saying before, when we have a chance to travel or adjust our culture, we have a chance to do cultural comparisons, to see if we, if, if we traveled to five different countries and spent a month in each one, we'd come home to our own culture and we'd, we'd start to think like, what were the universals we saw in, in the human experience? And what were the things that were wildly different? So trying to give a sense of um, of just the human nature, not just observing in ourselves, but also just observing in these different places. But we do get to observe it in ourselves. If we get to go back to the '90s. <laughs> okay, maybe we should multiple experiments so where we can live everywhere from the 1840s to the, to the 1990s. So. Let me talk a little bit about my inspiration here and read some read some quote. Let me just jump into a little excerpt here for a few minutes from the Urban Monks Handbook. I, I was basically planning a retreat, and it was inspired by Thoreau, and uh, that's Henry David Thoreau, and his Walden retreat, where he stepped back and just stepped back from the increasing hecticness of society to just slow things down, kind of go back uh, to an earlier choir stage in culture and just... And just be there for two years and see what he learned. So, this is me talking about uh, the retreat that I was designing. I began to plan my own retreat and quickly decided that I would head out as soon as possible. I considered heading to the woods to repeat Thoreau's experiment, but I felt compelled to retreat within the setting in which I would live out my adult life. For my goal was to learn how to build a ritual of retreat into daily life. My retreat was not meant as a one shot deal, but rather as a period of intensive reprioritizing. The vision of a woodland retreat was soon eclipsed by an alternate vision, one that would allow for more pertinent insight into the rest of my life. I would retreat within the city. I figured that if my goal was to learn how to live and create a peaceful life within modern culture, if my goal was to discover a ritual of retreat within modern life, if my goal was best met by not only studying my own mind, the minds of my fellow men and women, the minds of youth and elders, then I would best take my retreat within the influence of modern culture within the city. The retreat was, from its conception, a public experiment and in no way a secretive process. Throughout the planning phase, I brainstormed the plans for the journey with anyone who was interested. When I would first tell someone that I was planning on a retreat within the city, many would would respond with a look of bewilderment. Wondering uh, if I was speaking in jest, how could you take a retreat within the city?' After all, when people thought about a long-term self-guided retreat, they imagined some guy shelling peas outside of his cabin while listening to the birds. Most people had trouble comprehending an urban retreat, but this is exactly why this retreat was so important. The benefit of retreat in the woods is obvious, for sitting in the quiet of the woods is so distant from our normal reality that it would naturally be a profound experience. In a woodland retreat, we, we move into a space very different than our normal life. Culture is mostly removed and we engage primarily with the natural world. In an urban retreat, we are forced to create a space very different than our normal life by actively removing the layers of modern culture. This is a key point, For my goal is to understand our minds and then to create a life more in line with my emotional promptings. Creating a retreat in the city would be essential practice for learning how to create the life I desired. All right, that's a good little excerpt there. A little more. I searched for guidance in how I ought to pursue this further. I sought out reservoirs of wisdom in my contemporary life. I began to ask questions of wise elders, I also searched out the insight from those who had tackled some of these questions over the past few hundred years. One afternoon, as I perused the library bookshelves, I came across Thoreau's Walden, which recounted the tale of a two-year retreat taken in the 1840s by a young writer who simply wanted to step back from what he saw as as an increasingly hectic and distracted life in an attempt to return back to the simpler roots of human life. Like many Americans, I had come across our national prophet of retreat in high school and in references here and there over the years, but I had never taken his Walden experience and really read it through, deeply contemplating where this guy living 160 years ago was coming from, why he would embark on such a journey. I would spend the next few weeks with Thoreau. He would talk, and I would listen, and I would take a long walk and stop beneath a tree or sit upon a park bench, and write down my reflections. Out of all his words, there was one moment, one line that struck, that struck me that continued to ripple within me for days. It was a line where he crystallized the impetus for his retreat. I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life, and to see if I could not learn what it had to teach, and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. Mm-mm, what a, what a quote. And reading that quote, and and sitting with that quote, it all changed for me in that moment. I had found the companionship, the mentorship I was looking for. Here was a precedent for an experiment I could repeat in order to make sure I knew the truest nature of this delicate waltz between our human minds and our modern culture. It was in the moment of reflection where I decided that, with Thoreau as my mentor, I would embark on my own two-year retreat. Oh, those are good stuff. See, I got this book out. This is a good read. This is a good read. All right, let me give you one more excerpt. In this book, again, I really emphasize experiment. That's kind of how I introduce the book, that exploration, just giving myself that time. And during this retreat, this two-year retreat I took, and I, I did take it in San Francisco in the years 2000, spanning four five, 4, 5, and 6. It was a good period in San Francisco. It was still affordable. I was able to live in cooperative housing. I rented rooms there for five fifty dollars 600 bucks a month. I was able to live simply, cook a lot of meals, surf, bike to the beach, pick up my surfboard at my buddy's house, go surfing, three-mile bike to the beach, three miles the other direction, go down to the fisherman's wharf, wait tables. You know, frequently throughout my life, part of my urban monk experiment that has continued basically for the last almost 20 years is that of working a part-time job for somebody else or some project that I enjoy and learn from, and then, continuing on my ongoing research projects, my writing, podcasting, etc. the rest of my time, with time spent for exercise and socializing, etc. So, a lot of this Urban Monks retreat was set as a two-year retreat, but again, with experiment, you often find things in experiments that you really want to hold on to and that you want to retain in your life. For example, me in this no home internet, it has cleared up some mental space and some time in my weeks. So, sure, it costs me time sometimes to walk to the library and pick up materials or use the internet. But it also saves me a lot of time because I'm just watching less. I'm watching less live sports, which I don't really have access to unless I go to the sports bar. But that's fine right now. I've had years where I've enjoyed a lot of streaming sports. Now I just check some message board or check the results and, and enjoy sports that way. Oh, I, I like this. I like thinking about the 1990s because it, it was sort of the last epoch before this one. Before cell phones, the internet, and social media dominated. So perhaps we can encourage people to do or even experimental Sunday, where they just live in the '90s, where you just put aside some of these these modern things and just enjoy life in a different mode. And I got to do a show about radio. There's something different about radio. I I like somebody else. I like there be a DJ. Um, the com- camaraderie of a DJ is a wonderful thing. I've always been drawn to audio more than video. There's something about it that just, it's supportive but not dominant in, in a way that video just consumes us. So, got a lot of good brainstorms going. I'd love to hear from you. I got one more excerpt for you today. Okay, this is um, the introduction. This could really be an introduction to the whole book. Okay, here we go. If I was eating the way I was taught, but found myself feeling weak or sluggish for weeks and months on end, I would question my diet. What was making me feel this way? I would begin to experiment with my eating routine, leaving some ingredients out, eating others more frequently, perhaps some more fruits and vegetables or an an adjustment in spiciness, eating smaller meals more often, larger meals less often. The goal of these adjustments, these personal experiments would be to observe how my body responded under various conditions. By running different dietary experiments, I would over time know myself better, when to eat, what to eat, how to cook, to have me feeling my healthiest. If I was living a life in the way I was taught, but I found my mind crawled along depressively, or my mind raced anxiously, or that I simply did not feel as I imagined I, I could, If I feel just mentally unhealthy, should I not question and alter my life with the same spirit as I might have altered my diet? If it was my mind that was unhealthy, how could I adjust my mental environment in order to see what worked for me, in order to better know myself? How was the balance of my days between social time and alone time, between work and relaxation, Between consumption and creation. Between being future-minded, being present-minded, and being past-minded. How was I building meaningful relationships to people, to places, to my work? Where were my refuges, my places of self-nurture, of contentment? How was I spending my free time? Was I building a life of creation? Creating meals, creating social events, creating ideas. Or was I merely falling into the ease of consuming? Perhaps at the end of it all, was I listening to my emotional needs? By running different experiments, by seeing how my mind reacted to different settings, different rituals, I imagined that I would, over time, know myself better. I would understand how to live a life that would have me feeling my healthiest. Boom! Whew! Gotta get that Urban Monks Handbook out! That is hot! Loving that! Woo! Oh my gosh! I don't even know if I want to talk about anything else. I feel like like we hit some big points here. So why experiment? Why mix it up? Why? Well, the ultimate goal is to learn more. And the idea is if we can learn more, we can grow healthier, grow better. Why do we want to grow healthier and grow better? Well, because if we grow healthier and grow better, We're gonna feel better and people are gonna like us more and we're gonna get along with our friends we're not gonna be complaining we're not gonna be feeling miserable we're gonna learn that life is full of ups and downs and as long as we just keep living and learning what else can you do what else can you do one day at a time one week at a time all right well I hope you get a chance to think about what you might want to try differently what experiments what little adjustments you want to make. Or perhaps you can do it with your friends or your family. New rituals, new habits. It's the way we try out things. That's the way we build the build life we want to build. Again, habit by habit, ritual by ritual. I wish you well and don't forget some of those basic rituals. Keep hydrated. Find a way to sleep and rest and recharge. Be kind to yourself because that will just help you be kind to others. All right, living and learning. Peace, my friends. Later. Bye-bye.